Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life, bringing you another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. I'm excited to take on a great topic today about change and how change just shows up everywhere in our life. And joining me here today is a corporate change specialist and executive coach and and novelist. This is Janice Van Dyke. Say hello, Janice. Hi, Dr. Paul. I'm happy to be here. Thrilled to have you with me here. Now, you've got some experience with change, and I think it goes back a while, doesn't it? It does. It does. My life as I knew it ended when I was five years old, and uh, on a cold January night, our house blew up. A natural gas leak in the basement cracked the walls, and there was a fire. And uh, we we were stuck in the house for a while, uh, but luckily, seven of us got out. My parents lost everything, including our house, and we were homeless, um, bounced around in different places for the better part of a year. And wow. so I learned how to start over. You had to, didn't you? I did. So I've never been one of those people that believes that life is about controlling it and freezing it in one place in some perfect position so that they can be happy. I think that's mm. fantasy thinking. I think that life doesn't work that way. At least mine hasn't. And right. the reality is grow or die. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Here's something we can all count on. Uh, you know, like you said, the freeze frame thing doesn't really work. And really the ideal doesn't show up very often. <laughs> so what we get is change. And we can count on that. True? I believe that. My mother always said nothing ever stays the same for very long. And what she didn't say is you've got to do more than cope. You have to learn how to thrive. Mm. Otherwise, life just gets to be a drag. <laughs> well, you know, even the universe is expanding. If you look yeah. around the natural world, all the plants and the animals, you know, if they're not growing, they're becoming smaller and they're getting ready to die. So I, I think most of us want to be the ones that continuously change, that think that we're here living our lives and have an obligation even to become the best person we can be, mm-hmm. to deal with change, mm-hmm. and to take each little chapter and make it a part of who we are. Yeah. You know what? I was just thinking, people, people get a little too attached to things being the same. And... Uh, I don't think they really want the same as much as they want better. And better is always different. Somebody told me once that people don't resent change. They just resent being changed. Okay. So maybe part of it is whether or not we initiate the change. You know, why are we excited about getting a new job that, like you say, is going to be better than what we have, but yet we're afraid for the first day of school or we're afraid to go to a funeral? These are mm-hmm. all different types of life changes, but some of them we initiate and some of them we don't. 
So whether you have a choice in the matter can make a big difference. This, this example that you shared with us, you know, you're, you're five years old and out of nowhere, boom, big explosion, house burns down. It's not like you signed up for that or that you planned it or that you were anticipating. This was one of those changes that was kind of thrust on you. Yeah, and I think, you know, children, when we're young, we kind of think whatever happens to us is normal because we have nothing to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now that I'm older, and I think of what my parents must have went through. You know, they had four kids. One of them was just a baby. He was due to go to, into the hospital for an operation the next day. And all of a sudden, I mean, there is one of the biggest change, natural disaster happens. And you you have to deal, you know. You, you have to deal mm-hmm. or you don't, everything falls apart. And I guess I was really lucky that my parents have that resiliency that um, really kept the family together and they continued to come up with new ideas until we found ourselves in a better place. They turned what could have been, you know, and was a terrible Mm. situation into something that was better for the whole family. In a better place. Interesting. So the change led to something better. Sometimes it works that way, doesn't it? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> you know, I, I was talking with um, with a colleague of mine who went through some very, very difficult financial circumstances, and it got to a point where uh, they were about to lose their house. And in the course of that, he got in touch with some people who were assisting him to save his house. And as it works out... He ends up being employed by this same organization and is making better money than he was before. Wow, that's a great story. So losing the house actually created a better situation for him. He didn't end up losing the house, actually. But, you know, this is an interesting concept. The change that we fear could be the very thing that triggers something even better. And I think to some extent, don't you, that that it's up to us what we make of it, you know, what we find in ourselves when we are in a change situation, maybe something we didn't know we had that was never called on before, and mm-hmm. then, you mm-hmm. know, surprise, I can do this, I can, I can make it. Right, right. This, now we're, t- we're t- hitting on something that I like to, to get into with my clients, that I talk a lot about, it's that issue of fear, and you're, you're getting to the very core of what our fundamental fear is. Our fundamental fear is that we can't handle something. And that, that belief tends to be at the root of every fear. When you realize you can handle it, then there's no more fear. You just take it on. You do whatever is required. But have you noticed that as well? This, Definitely. This fear I coached that you a can't... young man one time who... You know, after being very protective and insisting the reason why he couldn't make a certain change in the workplace, he said, the thing is, I've led a privileged life, and everything has always come kind of naturally to me, and I'm not sure I can do it. I've never had to prove myself. He said, I look around at these other people who had jobs from a very young age, people who really made their way in the world who haven't gotten the breaks I've had, and I'm not sure I'm as strong as they are. Oh, yeah. And he, and I assured him, you know, that he had what it took, that when 
it came time to challenge himself, to get himself in some unfamiliar territory, out of the comfort zone, that he was going to be amazed what he was capable of. Uh-huh. So what was the outcome? He was. Uh, he's <laughs> three jobs later now. Um, he's worked his way up. And uh, I don't even think he remembers the day that he felt all the fear in my office. Uh-huh. And you said that so matter-of-factly, Janice. It's like, well, yeah, he was. <laughs> it, like, of course he was. You know, he just didn't see it. And you saw it all along as you were coaching him. Yeah, you can handle this. Of course Absolutely. you can handle this. Absolutely. If, if he was somebody that I didn't feel that, and I didn't feel that he had the resources, as the coach, I would have helped him develop them you know, help him um, explore what he was capable of and to set realistic expectations because we're all different. But I think a realistic expectation for this particular person was that he was capable of a lot more than he thought he was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's true of most of us. Yes, it's nice to have somebody who's there telling us, though. You, you can do it. You're, you're going to make it. I think we all need somebody in our corner who's behind us that helps us through those times where we're really mm-hmm. comfortable. Mm-hmm. Sure. So r- returning for just a minute to this idea, grow or die. And you, you wrote an article. In fact, I've got it in front of me right now. I'll put a link on our on our blog site that uh, drives people to this article. You wrote it about change, starting over, and how, how change is the strongest truth. And uh, on this grow or die concept, it occurred to me, and we, we chatted about this just before the show, you're going to grow until you die, too. <laughs> well, that's right, but not everybody does. Some people get stuck. Right. Some people get stuck for a short period of time. Some people get stuck for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, while we're we're on this topic, I want to put in a little plug for your book. It's called Finding Francis. Uh, We'll put up a link for that on our site as well so that people can get to that. But it's a novel, and it's about these life changes that come, and with the specific example of dying. Yes. And that's one of the ones that scares everybody. You know, I had a... I had a chat with a a funeral director. He calls himself an undertaker. (laughs) Um, Fascinating conversation right here on this show. And he said, you know, all men die, but not all men truly live. And this is the growth idea, I think. Either you're in a stagnant, steady state, or you're dynamically moving and developing and changing. And that's this growth idea. Am I getting that right? I couldn't agree more. While my book is about somebody who's dying, and some people will read it to um, get more of an insight so they can be less afraid of dying, the book is also about members of a family. And Mm. coincidentally, they're all kind of stuck in a certain place at the time when their mother starts to die. And through the experience of watching their mother die, of helping her find peace, they get unstuck. They come to terms with some issues that they've had within the family. They just get a different insight on how to live by watching somebody die. So mm-hmm. the book is about the, cha- the inevitable change, the, the final change, but it's also about how we live and whether or not we can learn something from everything that happens to us to help us move along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and what a beautiful example of that. This is one of those, 
I'm thinking about what you said about whether change is, is something that you choose or that is forced on you. And some changes are going to show up in your life no matter what. This family in your novel, uh, they got to deal with it. It's not that they, you know, signed up for it or something like that, but right. here it is. So and what are just, you going to do? Right, just like your house blowing up in the middle of the night, all of a sudden somebody gets sick and, and you have to drop everything and mm-hmm. come to a new understanding, come to a new place in your mind about that relationship, come to a new place in your mind about what things are going to be like once you lose someone you love. Mm-hmm. I think that choice element, you know, when it, when it's not there, there's usually more fear that comes in. What have you, what have you found that helps people to deal with the fear end of that change? I, I, the final change, you mean? The, the, well, any the change, but that, line, could be a, that could part. be a good example because you don't get to, you don't get to opt out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what <laughs> okay. I mean? Okay, let's talk about that. Okay. I have found from talking to readers, and I, I, I also talked to a lot of people before I wrote the book, because I found out that, well, gee, this happens to everyone, and a lot of people have experiences they want to talk about, but they don't have anyone to talk to about it, because we're not allowed to talk about death. It's, it's not something we should do mm. in like company. The taboo that subject. Feeds, that fear feeds the fear as well. Sure. So I think w- one thing is just being able to talk about it and know how you feel about it, and just like any other kind of change, to be able to voice your fear, maybe to learn a mm-hmm. little bit more about it so you face your fear and you understand exactly what it is you're afraid of instead of the boogeyman in the closet. And then also I think that it's helpful for people to plan ahead and mm. Take whatever steps they're comfortable with to ensure that their last days are the way they want it to be. Well, there's a, there's a few things we could develop a little more as we get into the second half of our conversation here. That talking about it, I think, is, is crucial. Having a way to voice it. We'll come right back to this. Thank you for joining me for the Live On Purpose radio podcast. It is truly an honor to be a part of your prosperity team. Please visit my website, drpaul.org, to get connected with other tools for you and your family. There you will find links to my weekly e-zine, Empower, Harnessing the Power of the Mind, and to the free Parental Power teleconference that I host every week with my wife, Vicki. You can also check out upcoming events, or pick up powerful information products. Feel free to contact me directly with questions, comments, or to book me for your company or private event. Email me through drpaul at liveonpurposeradio.com. This is Shay Larson, ideaorbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. Lawn mowers are one of the world's most notorious troublemakers. In the U.S. alone, there are over 100 deaths a year caused by lawn mowers, and over 77,000 people are rushed to the hospital each year due to trouble caused by the grass chopping machines. Aside from these graphic statistics, lawn mowers require maintenance 
break down often, need refueling, and take an average of one hour to mow a typical yard. What would happen if there was a lawnmower that could mow the lawn by itself? What if it required no fuel and no maintenance? What if it was completely safe while mowing your lawn and mowing around your children? And what if it put itself away when it was finished? Sounds like sci-fi to you? Well, Husqvarna, an English-based outdoor equipment manufacturer, is releasing their latest lawn mowing phenom that handles everything stated so far. The small 20-pound auto mower also knows exactly where not to mow, like flower beds and play areas. It will go around trees or toys left in the yard, and it returns to its base when it needs to power up and it even cuts more efficiently than most traditional mowers. Husqvarna released their automower in the U.S. just last month, which will soon be coming to a store near you. Congratulations to Husqvarna for your grass and time chopping idea. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. I've got a great idea. The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between, the leader is a servant. Max Dupree. So Janice, just before the break, as we're talking about how to handle the fear, you you mentioned having a way to talk about it is extremely important, putting some words to it, having a way to bounce that around a little bit, and then finding ways to face it and take it on without just running away. What uh, I, I, I don't want to cut you off. Is there something else that you wanted to say about that? Well, um, I think that that is um, great advice, whether it's the kind of change you initiate or whether it's the kind of change that's thrust upon you. But I think with the different kinds of change, there are different coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So maybe let's talk about uh, self-initiated change, things where you have your choice. And I like to call them um, like the I can't wait changes. That's mm-hmm. like get your dream job or you get married or that great new piece of technology. It's exhilarating. And then there's also, well, I know I have to, but I've been putting it off, like stopping smoking or, um, you know, going, uh, letting the kids go off to college or something. It, it, uh-huh. These are self-initiated. You know something good is going to come out at, at the end. So those types of things are a little bit easier to plan for. Um, The thing that I think is important, though, is to have a fallback position. You know, I think sometimes people get so excited about positive change that they fail to have an exit strategy or a backup plan. And when the little problems hit along the way, it can be easy to get discouraged if you have such high hopes. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and, And the fear, 
in that kind of a change, I think comes comes down to what if I don't succeed, mm-hmm. or uh, fear of loss of the status quo, or something something a little less uh, intense maybe than those that are forced on you. Right, and if you're the kind of person who tends to doubt yourself anyway. You can be really excited at first, but at the first setback, then you start to say, oh, I never should have done this. Mm. Um, so if you prepare a little bit the same way you might prepare for that final exit, um, you know, you think ahead, what, what do I want here? How am I going to handle it if some setbacks occur? Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, you know, it's, it's even important when you invite the change into your life. Right. I think I shared with you, we were talking last week about uh, a change that I've initiated. Uh, yes. Do you remember that conversation? I've, I've told myself for years and years that I have a book to write. And then uh, just, I don't know, seven or eight weeks ago, I actually started writing. And I've been writing consistently every week and making some really good progress on my book. You know what that process is like because you've authored several books. It's true. Uh, it was, and I, I'm thinking about what you said. You know, there's the I can't wait beginning, and then there's the I know I have to beginning. It kind of changed for me. It was oh, an no. I know I have to at some point. And then at, at something clicked, and it became an I can't wait beginning. Is this weird? Am I just strange? No, I think that's great, but I hope you don't become like a lot of us writers where it'll switch back to, oh, I know I have to sit down and write. (laughs) Uh, A little writer's block sometimes happens. But that's the kind of minor setback that I'm talking about. Uh You need to, you know, have uh, a fallback position. You know, if it gets hard to write, then, you know, you you discipline yourself more. You do something nice Mm -hmm. for yourself after you, uh, after you, find it hard to begin. Sure. You know what? I've got a guest coming on next month on my show who's a, uh, uh, I guess he's in a sort of a corporate change specialist as well. He's an author who just came out with a brand new book. It's not even released yet called The Zigzag Principle. And I love this concept. I think you'll resonate with it when uh, you're going somewhere. Like if you're going to the summit of the mountain, you don't just go marching straight up the side of the mountain. You take a little zigzag path. And sometimes it feels like you're not even going toward what it is that you wanted to, that you originally set out to do, you know. Well, I think that's especially helpful in those changes that um, are out of our control, that people do Mm. for us. And I call them the please don't make me do it change. And the where do I start change? Uh, those little steps, and, and I guess it's the basis of the, the step programs. You take one step at a time. You set incremental goals and say, I don't exactly know how I'm going to get to that end point, but I do know I, I go in this direction. I do uh-huh. know what the positive steps are going to be, and you just take them one by one. Right. That, now, that has a little bit of emotional power to it. Please don't make me do this. <laughs> I, have you ever felt that? <laughs> oh, yeah. The, you mean today? <laughs> <laughs> this come, This is one of those things that shows up for people on a fairly regular basis. Right. As they encounter things they didn't plan, mm-hmm. and it's unpleasant, and they just don't want to do it, but there is no way around it. Here it is. 
Yeah, and it can also reinforce our sense of weakness or ineffectiveness in the world because we mm-hmm. didn't bring this on. Mm-hmm. And some of the hopelessness that you feel or the, the panic, right. you know, sometimes the sheer panic. Yeah, the feeling of being a victim. And that, mm-hmm. if you're prone to depression, you know, that's, that's kind of dangerous to be in that position. What's your advice for people who are facing some of these less pleasant change beginnings? Well, I I think that going back to what you were saying before, confronting the fear, understanding what the emotions involved are. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're less pleasant, but before you panic, figure out what you're reacting to. Uh, what, What are you specifically afraid of or what specifically do you resent or who do you resent and to be able to talk about that with somebody who can be in your corner who can be behind you and say yes i understand that Mm -hmm. but i think you can do it anyway and if you are the kind of person who tends to feel powerless or get to the stage of depression or hopelessness it's important to seek some help with that you know what i appreciate your saying that because uh this is my industry Mm-hmm. And yours, too, as you talk with people and as you give them a mechanism to get it out of their own head and out of their own feelings and out where they can actually see it, work on it, evaluate it, um, be less afraid of it. Yes. And we all do that in different ways. You know, we all have a different type of support system, whether it's our family or our friends or our religious group. There are people that we can turn to. We can turn to professional counselors and and people who guide others on the path of life. Mm -hmm. And getting to the point where you can talk or even writing down your feelings, that can also be a very powerful thing that helps you, as you said, get it out of your head and take the power out of it. I think once we get it out of our head, it has far less power over us. Right. This is an interesting mechanism that that I've noticed in, in my experience in psychology, your mind will tend to hang on to whatever it is until you put it into a system that you trust. Mm-hmm. And that system might be a journal. Mm-hmm. You know, I can put it there and then I, it's like subconsciously you're telling your mind, you don't have to carry it anymore. You put it in to a place that you trust. Right. And I think a lot of it does happen on the subconscious level. So you don't have to mm-hmm. be critical of yourself for not, quote, handling it. It, You know, subconsciously on a very visceral level, we react to threats, you know, and change is a threat to homeostasis. It's a, a basic mm-hmm. uh, law and principle of being alive. For sure. Everything wants to stay the same, and any threat to that can be perceived by the body um, as something that could kill it, you know. Yeah, as a threat. kicks in your fight-or-flight response, and you either have to stay and fight and be resilient and go with it, or you just have to get away from it and go try something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So talking it out, now you mentioned something in your article also about self-care. Yes. Could you address that for a moment? Well, I think a lot of people get so hung up in the action and taking those steps and uh, doing those plans, that they they forget to stop and feel what's going on to their physical body. And I believe that the, the practice of self-care begins with the care of our physical body. And when we're under stress, all kinds of things are happening. Hormones are kicking in. Um, you know, things are getting stronger. Things are getting weaker. And 
that can take its toll over time. And when things are very acute, such as, you know, when, when someone's in the hospital or dying, mm-hmm. your, I mean, your body's on overdrive, and you have to learn how to recognize your body's cues of stress and then have the courage to set some limits and say, I, I can go to the hospital for two hours, but I can't sit there all day. Or when Uncle Henry comes in the room, it causes me more stress, so I'm just going to go take a walk in the parking lot while he visits with Mom. Or mm-hmm. whatever it is, you have to be able to take care of your body's re- uh, take care of your body physically so that that stress response doesn't take a long-term toll on your body. I think, Janice, this is particularly important when you're going through those stressful changes that you didn't choose. And sometimes in that fight-or-flight mode that you're talking about, you lose sight of some of the routine things that, that you need to do to maintain yourself. Drinking water, eating, uh, getting a little exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, and, and some of the other things that you might not think to do at that time because you're so busy worrying about things. Yes, we tend to say, you know, it's not about me right now. Well, no, it is about you. It's happening to you. It's all about you. And Mm -hmm. it's more than what's going on in your head. It's what is happening to your body as well. So maybe more than anything here, uh, for you listeners who may be facing some significant life transitions, you have our permission. Can I speak for you too, Janice? (laughs) (laughs) You have our permission to take care of yourself. Do that. Do it. Yeah. Be selfish. I call it being sacredly selfish. Sacredly because selfish. Unless you take care of yourself, you can't be good for anybody else. You can't take care of everybody else until you've taken care of yourself. Mm. I heard a speaker refer to our human body, our mechanism that we live in, as our sacred, unrepeatable selves. Oh, that's beautiful. And I do like that. And it fits right in with what you're saying. And there's there's a process also, I'm hitting another point here from your article because I think you, you nailed it here. Pruning and renewing. Uh, talk about the concept of pruning. Well, I consider myself a bit of a gardener, and I know that when you take something um, from a small pot and put it in a big pot into a, a new growing situation, you have to break the roots that may have been pot-bound, and you're tearing off something that's living, but when you set it into the new soil where it has the opportunity to grow, it's it's free to expand to the new space. Mm -hmm. And when things kind of shoot off in a direction that isn't healthy for the plant, that may be pulling it to one side, you take your clippers and you clip it off. Now, I often think I can hear my little plant saying, oh, what'd you do that for? But a couple of weeks later, everything is more balanced and it encourages new growth. Mm -hmm. And, And it's better than it was before. We're returning to this theme, it seems. I've got some grapes growing in my yard. And uh, if I don't prune them, I get these little bitty grapes. I get a whole bunch of them, but they're just little bitty fruit. You right, know? right. When I prune it properly, I get these gorgeous, full bunches of grapes. Well, instead of spreading out, the plant puts its energy into, into the what's fruit, left, into the good stuff. Exactly. Yes. So by pruning off some of these things that don't work for us, 
Well, yes, it initiates change and makes us have to stretch a little bit. It mm-hmm. also lets us put our power into the things that are working for us. That's absolutely right. Well, Janice, we have we have about a minute or so left, and I want to make sure people have a way of getting to what it is you're doing. I mentioned the book, Finding Francis. Um, where's the best place for them to get a copy of that or to see what other things you're doing? Um, it's available, the book is available online and can be ordered from any bookstore. It's also available on ebooks wherever you can buy an ebook. Um, if you go to my book's website, Finding Francis, Francis is spelled with an E at the end, Francis, C-E-S, okay. uh, FindingFrancis.com, that'll direct you to my re- website, which has all kinds of wonderful things on it. Well, I'm sure they are wonderful. <laughs> and from, from our conversation here today and from what I've read from you, including your book, Finding Francis, I just appreciate the good work that you're doing in assisting people to to take on these changes in their life. And what is more predictable than change? It's the only truth. That's the one we get to count on. <laughs> so I... Um, I appreciate your being here at Live on Purpose Radio today. I want to encourage all of you listeners to take a look at what Janice is doing. We'll put some some links up on the blog site at liveonpurposeradio.com. The, the website, Finding Francis, spelled F-R-A-N-C-E-S, dot com, is where you will get connected with Janice's book. And you can link to some of the other things that she's doing. Janice, I want to give you the last word here. Well, when I'm asked to autograph one of my novels, I often write, Life Has Many Chapters. So I just like to say, don't be afraid to write your own. Write your own book. Is there any sweeter satisfaction than identifying a goal and succeeding at it? Thank you, Dr. Paul. Perfect. Thank you, Janice. Everybody go out there and live on purpose. <laughs> 